This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. First, I want to thank everyone out there for ordering the Anthology of Emo book series. It is a labor of love and self-publishing and DIY. And I finally got my hands on the physical copies this weekend. And the great news is it is shipping to you in a couple of weeks. If you haven't heard about it, head on over to anthologyofemo.com to learn more. Second, all you amazing Patreon fans out there who keep the lights on, thank you. I've been enjoying the Discord chatting lately. And if you want to hang out with us and support the show and you're not a member, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. Today on the podcast is Garrett O'Donnell from Planes Mistaken for Stars. Garrett and I recently connected after he heard in an earlier podcast, episode 110 to be exact, with writer Jason Heller about the impact of Planes Mistaken for Stars and the untimely death of member Matt Bellinger. Garrett actually hadn't heard this episode until recently and reached out to me after he heard it. We ended up talking a bit and he agreed to come on the podcast. This episode now takes on a little extra weight. The interview, done in May, was before Garrett was diagnosed in late August with stage three esophagus cancer. As a favor, it'd be great while you're listening to this episode to check out this link of GoFundMe on washedupemo.com. They're still researching the best options for care and any words of support or donation will go a long way to a legend. If you don't know much about Planes Mistaken for Stars or you're a super fan, this episode is for you. Garrett pulls no punches talking about the bands associated with emo saying, I think we wanted to lean into the dark side of things because it made more sense to us. And on their rowdy days, he admits it was a circus act. It was not a magic show. He talks fondly on his time with bandmate Matt Bellinger, saying, Matt walks on stage with me every time I do. Lastly, he's one of the most aware of his faults and dreams I've ever interviewed, saying, sometimes life is just crushing. Just to walk outside the door, if one of our tunes can get you to roll up your sleeves and brave through it, then that's all I want. Then stating eloquently, I'm hoping that on my deathbed, I'll just remember that I did it my way. This is episode 176 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Garrett O'Donnell from Planes Mistaken for Stars.
it still blows my mind that anybody cares. <laughs> you know, like, it's still wild to me because we're still just a little punk rock band, you know? Right. Uh, and so you are back in Peoria, correct? It's kind of cool because, um, you know, I've learned a lot coming back home, and that is, like, happiness is what you make of it, you know? Like, we all desperately tried to get out of Peoria so hard, and it was all... <clears throat> we got to get out. This place sucks. <laughs> and then come to find out, it, you know, as, as, as children, it sucked because we just needed to find change. But now it's like, this place is so bad. In fact, it's so fucking weird. I love it here. Like, I mean, it's a weird town and I can afford to live here. <laughs> I can afford to live here. And because it's affordable, I actually do more with traveling than I did before. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we do more in Chicago now, up until this shit show happened. We do more in Chicago now when we're there than we did when we lived there. I mean, Neil has been here. Um, Neil came uh, from Denver months back. He was just coming for a week so we could work on some new demos for some playing stuff. And then everything happened. And he's like, he uh, works at this awesome bookstore slash coffee place in uh, Denver that does shows on occasion. Um, and he's a barista and uh, does the sound. But they're like, we're, we're, at, we're, we're shutting down for a foreseeable future, you know. Uh, so he didn't have work. And then also he lives in a house with like three other dudes that's like half the size of this place. So he's like, can I just stay? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Uh, and we've just been writing constantly and this is no exaggeration i told some of this recently and they said that I was, they were like you're lying there's no fucking way but uh i hadn't written a song since 2015 you know six with prey but me and Neil have written 80 songs <laughs> since he's been here and um they're not all bangers they're not all bangers but we're just like stuck together and luckily uh we have a really good chemistry and vibe and with planes, it's me and, me and him are the principal songwriters anyhow. And now we're just like, well, fuck, we've missed each other so much over the last 10 years or so. Now let's make the most of it. Like, instead of fucking jumping off bridges, we're just digging into work. And it feels good. That's amazing. But uh, I'd say at this point, we have enough. We've started two side projects just to cover. Wow. To figure out how to put these so, um, we have one, I think I sent you the first pass of, uh, Blunt Razors. It's actually going to be a six song EP. We've been doing a lot of the stream of consciousness just to see what happens. Like I, we don't write these songs. Like he, he writes, uh, two or three bass parts, records them. And then he's like, sit down and play guitar. And he usually doesn't let me take more than one or two passes. Just kind of strike when the iron's hot and it's been working. Like, this EP that we just did, the Blunt Razors thing, we did in like less than eight hours. It was a two-day thing, four hours of a pop. And, That's uh, cool. I think, um, I think Deathwish is going to put it out, and it's not going to be Planes. It's just going to be its own thing. But anyway, I digress. Uh, we have enough. So we started this side project called Blunt Razors, um, and then another thing called Witness Crystal, and then we have Planes. And I think we have enough material for two records for each band. 
Amazing. And and that and and that was in how how much time? Like a month and a half? Yes. Wow. Yes. The the problem we we've stalled the last week or two because I'm running out of lyrics and I just need to re fucking charge. <laughs> I can't I don't I don't take lyrics lightly. I mean, even though it's not like you know fucking great American novel or anything, I my lyrics mean a lot to me. And I don't, I don't, I just don't take it lightly. So I'm like, homie, I got to stop singing for a minute. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't keep up with the amount. Playing guitar is fun and easy. Lyrics and singing are a whole different thing. Cause I, I don't know. Imagine method acting like yourself. <laughs> you know I mean? Right. That's what it is. Method acting like yourself. It's heavy, man. Sometimes. Yeah. What about getting into guitar or getting into DIY? How did you find that? Skateboarding was fairly, even though it was underground, it was fairly obvious and available in the 80s and early 90s. And skateboarding was my thing. Like, I I loved it. It's what I did, always. Comic books and skateboarding. I mean, every fucking day. And then when I got my first skateboard movie, which is Streets on Fire, the Santa Cruz, it was a bootleg copy, Santa Cruz Skateboard, Streets on Fire. I didn't have a stereo. I didn't have anything like that. And I lived at my grandparents at the time. And I put it on the the VHS and cranked the TV as loud as I could and skate on my sidewalk because the soundtrack was all SST. So it was Sonic Youth, Black Flag, uh, Minutemen, Firehose, Blast. I think Palehead is like the only band that wasn't on SST that was on that soundtrack. But anyways, that was my initial like, what is this music that goes so good with skateboarding? And what the fuck? This is something else entirely. And it just sort of blew my mind. And then uh, I found, um, um, you know, Zines, Maximum Rock and Roll. And plus my mom, her high school boyfriend he ended up being my mentor and one of my best friends. He recently passed away, but he always had record stores. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just getting long winded here, but you asked a very good question. that's very important to me. <laughs> I trust me. I don't know if you, if you yeah. listen, I shut the fuck up and let you talk. So don't worry. I'm here. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so anyway, this dude, um, you know, I grew up, it was single, my single mother, you know, it's me, me, my mom and my grandparents. And then later on my little brother. So this guy, Sheldon, was my mom's high school sweetheart. And I guess, for lack of a better term, like long lost sweetheart, soulmate slash thing. They always kept in touch. Always. They never got back together. Life just didn't work, it, work out for him like that. But they very much loved each other. And he very much loved me by proxy. Even though I don't get to see him every couple once every couple of years. But long story fucking short, he would send me from sixth grade on till he passed away uh, a couple of years ago, a box every year of records and comic books. Um, and this dude, and this dude had been dealing records since uh, collecting and dealing, buying, selling, trading, doing uh, record shows since like 1965. He was on the first wave, like <clears throat> long story short, when he passed right before... He moved up here. We were going to open a record store. He moved up here from Florida. We were going to open a record store together. That was the future. And he was here just a couple of weeks, and he's like, 
hey, buddy, I got some bad news. I'm stage four. I just found out. And um, that, that was it. And then I just kind of watched him go, you know. But beforehand, I bought his record collection from him. He's like, uh, I'm headed out. I want to give you my record collection because you're, like you're like my son. He goes, I can't just give it to you, though, because I have a wife. And I was like, I understand. Whatever. Bought some money, bought his record collection. And I always knew he was in the killer shit because he always sent me killer shit. But the dude had been collecting, like, new wave and punk rock since second one. And so, like, I mean, I can't imagine the records he's, he's had to sell over the years. But the shit that's there is the shit that he actually loved and kept. I've been slowly like alphabetizing things over the last couple months, being stuck at home, and just realizing how special it is to, to have these records that he kept as a record dealer, the ones he kept for himself. And um, when I bought his collection and I was loading it out, he was still very much alive. He was like, you need to come get this stuff now. You know, I, I want to see you take it from here. I want to make sure you it lands in your hands, you know? And uh, one of the most beautiful slash tragic things I've ever heard and seen in my life is I was taking the seven inches out and he said, there goes all my little friends. <laughs> he meant it. And it's true. Now they're all my little friends. And uh, when it gets rough, I play these and I think about exactly the question that you asked. How did I get into this shit? And he's a big part of that. It's sad because for a lot of my teenage years, I was like, even though he's the hippest motherfucker in the Midwest, they call him the king of rock and roll in the record circuits. <laughs> and a lot of his shit's like, oh, he's a, you know, he's out of touch. Like, I don't care about Johnny Thunders. Why does he keep telling me about Johnny Thunders? Now I'm like, fuck, dude, I can't even imagine the records that I've lost over the years just being an impetuous little prick and taking for granted how cool this guy is. And now I like relish and like thinking, memor like remembering these stories. He'd be like telling me about who he was hanging out with in the store last week and fucking like, oh, Bobby Steele just left. Well, he's not in the Misfits anymore, you know? <laughs> I don't fucking know. Like he just has all these great stories that I took for granted. But now I'm like, fuck man, just to get a, just one more day, sit down listen to records and have a six pack with them would be fucking marvelous. But anyway, back to the story. I have a, I have a tendency to get excited that anybody wants to listen to me at all that I fucking start stepping all over the fucking everything and over talking. Um, Garrett, <laughs> guess what? And forgetting the question at hand. Garrett, guess what? You <laughs> don't that? need to worry. You don't need to think about that at all. You can just talk and okay. tell stories. I edit this. I edit myself pretty much out of these. If you listen to a bunch of them, like I might chime in, but I, this is not about my stories about seeing refused or growing up in Vermont. I cut all that out. This is this is for yeah. you to. Kids want to hear from you. Kids want to hear your stories. So I, I hope that helps kind of guide you as you're talking. Yeah, Do not apologize. It frames it nicely. Yeah. <laughs> but to get back to your question, yeah, skateboarding did it for me. Skateboarding, and it's it's not a unique story. I guess the only thing that's really unique about it is that where I'm from, it was a little rougher to get traction in this world of, of like punk rock and DIY uh, because it's not. 
Denver. It's not Chicago. It's not L.A. It's not New York. It's just a little harder. So if you met people or knew people that were into what you're into, you immediately had a kinship with them, even if they're fucking total shitheads. And if you met somebody that was cool, like my mentor, Sheldon, who, like, you know, he's from here. He didn't live here anymore, but he would send me records. You'd, you'd listen. The funny thing about Peoria is, you know, I'm just telling you, anybody that I've met from here that's stuck around this as long as, like, all of us have, interesting. Just an interesting fucking type of person. Like <laughs> you can't, you can't get, you can't find that kind of people just any, anywhere. Good or bad. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, even some of them that are shit bags, at least they're interesting shit bags, you know, like I'll <laughs> oh, fuck that guy, but he's hilarious. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're definitely, we're definitely inviting him to the party. <laughs> but he's a shit bag. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, <laughs> Fucking don't turn your back on him, but he he crack you up. (laughs) Is that how, I mean, getting into music and and, and playing and and meeting people to play with, what were some of those common things? Was it, I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm definitely thinking it's skateboarding. It's definitely going to be, you know, punk, but was there any like specific memories of that? Oh, dude. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tip you a little secret about me. I have a memory for from like five years old to about 22 that is impeccable. You just ask me something, I can remember it. But about 22 to 30, checked out, buddy. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, and then there's some splotchy parts towards the end of my 30s. Well, actually, there's two years I lost. Whatever. Some of that stuff, uh, growing up, I remember it all, for better or for worse. Um, I mean, we were fucking miscreants, dude. I mean, some of us weren't as bad as the others, you know, like some of us were just good natured, but still just ragamuffin miscreants. Like you ever seen the movie kids? Of course. There you go, dude. Yeah. It hit it on the head, except for, you know, there was punk rock involved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we're total fucking dorks, dude. But like... Just corn dogs, man. I don't fucking know. But also, um, I think that that movie you kind of stick together, and I think if you've spoken previously in interviews and things, and saying all from broken homes, all from kind of fucked up situations, and being able to connect together on multiple levels, maybe personal, emotional, but then the music on top of it. In a lot of regards, we raised each other. You know what I mean? We raised each other. We were each other's inspirations. We were each other's uh, authority you know, to a certain extent up until a certain age, you know, Matt would get out of hand. I'd be like, yo, motherfucker, that's not fucking, that's not kosher, homie. Like, (laughs) you're not doing that shit on my fucking watch. And then if I would get fucking out of hand, Jamie or Mikey would be like, dude, you're making me very uncomfortable. Stop doing that. (laughs) You know, I was like, okay. So we raised each other. We learned a lot of lessons. Uh, from each other that will never go away. And I think sometimes some of us are in a rested state of development because of it. And then other times there's parts of us that gave us constitutions that you cannot get anywhere else. 
an understanding of the world about us that nobody else could have given us. An acceptance of failure is not an option because there's no such thing as fucking failure. We're just living. Breathing is winning. Waking up is winning for me. I've fucking, I, I just, yeah. I think we all have a very, very keen appreciation for life, especially now that we're getting longer in the tooth and starting to lose each other. Right. You know, uh, every day is winning for me. I think one of the only things I did right was not go to school. Only thing I did right was not expect that we were going to be a huge band. Only thing I did, we did right was not give a fuck because now we're adaptable. <laughs> I mean, like with everything that's going on in the world right now, I have like severe anxiety, like just issues I don't want to get into now. It's already been talked about elsewhere, but people have checked in on me. Like, how are you doing? I'm like, I finally feel like everybody in the world caught up with me. I haven't had a panic attack since this whole thing started because it's all even now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's like I felt parametric drop, like whoop, everybody's down on my level. Everybody's fucking shitting bricks. You know, and I'm like, all right, this is like normal. I can get to fucking business now. <laughs> the coolest head in the room. <laughs> right. Know? Been through it. Like every day the sky is falling for me. So if you need something done, I'm the guy to call. <laughs> <laughs> when the chips are down, I'm calling Garrett. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. I might not be able to get in the elevator, but I'll fucking not flinch if somebody pulls a gun on me. Hey, I've got a gun. What the fuck? <laughs> you know? Right. You know what to do. I, I think the something that I wanted to bring up, and I think it comes back to sort of, you know, you mentioning sort of the learnings from dealing with, um, uh, you know, the in music or dealing with, you know, touring and, and those worlds. And I want to come back to sort of this, how, how you experience that now, sort of like you being able to handle someone having a, you know, gun pulled on you or any of those things, starting out playing music late nineties. Um, what were, what were your feelings? What were your thoughts of like, again, I know that we didn't know what it was going to be and you're just, you know, kind of doing your band, but starting, you know, uh, that sound or that music, um, what was something that you guys all sort of, was there an aha of like, oh, wow, this is uh, super rad melodic, you know, post stuff and no one's doing this or we haven't heard this or did you not even think that? Uh, we didn't really think about it a bunch. Um, we all kind of, not all, but all right, so Mikey... Mongo, when, when like we got together, he came from sort of a little bit different of background. He was more, um, at the time, like in uh, sort of jam bands, like college rock shit, you know? And he was a great drummer, and we could tell he was cool. When me and Mikey first met each other, we did not like each other. He thought I was an asshole, and I thought he was a fucking dork, and we were both right. Um, <laughs> but, then we realized when we met further on down the line that not only was I an asshole and he was a dork, he was also an asshole and I was a dork. So it all clicked and we're like, all right, let's make this fucking work. <laughs> um, and I don't really think that we, uh, I don't really remember like trying to achieve a sound. I just wanted to be 
solid and honest and emotive. You know what I mean? Like, and when I say emotive, you and you and Heller talked about like, you know, it's true. Nobody at the time wanted to be called fucking emo because it's, it was, it was lazy. That's what it felt like. You know what I mean? Because to me, like, I've cried to the, the police and then Lizzie as many times as I had Sunny Day Real Estate. You know? But music isn't emotional. But I get it. It sells records. You know what I mean? And it's, 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 it's immediate now. Well, not now, but for a while, it's a period. I got it. I understood it. I tolerated it. Now it's confusing to me. Like, when my kids talk about emo, and I'm like, oh, wow, I... I like, kids are listening to Rights of Spring still, you know? They're like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you got to send them to, you, you got to send them to isthisbanemo.com. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, one of them was cracking on me. Like, Dad, I read online that you're in an emo band. And I'm like, yeah. But you just fucking wake up yesterday, you know? Like, he's like, no, but an emo band? I was like, what are you talking about? Like, they're cracking on me about this. And right. they showed me what emo is now. And I was like, holy fucking shit. It's like weirdo goth techno kids. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's the thing. There's right? always like a little, like the way that you said your son's voice is how just people yeah. say it. And I think that's the, you know, again, the mainstream approach to they're going to make it easy. They're going to make it simple. They're going to say it looks like this and it sounds like this. And there's, there's always a little laugh and there's always a little snicker. And I don't, and I think it just seems weird that for something that's so expansive that like you talked earlier, it's still alive. I'm surprised every morning that someone still mentions that word. It's, it's not like, you know, uh, yes, uh, even though I make, I make fun of ska personally, ska's not mentioned every yeah. day. <laughs> like there, no. there's kids no. in a basement, you know, right now finding these bands and starting shit. And I think there's something special to that. And I think it's the same lineage. And I hope one day, maybe it's not a snicker, but it's a more of a remembrance, but it is that time period that you guys were in and being signed to deep elm, having an emo diary song you got thrown into it. Yeah. And the thing is about Deep Elm, that's one of the reasons we left. Because I got it and I tolerated it enough. But, you know, I wrote on a piece of paper today. Like, because I get, like like I said, I get excited about these things. And I start talking and forgetting that I'm being recorded. And, cause, you know, <laughs> if I like you, if I like you, there's a chance that the conversation could go two fucking hours. If I don't, it's a five-minute thing, and it's like, hey, thanks for your time, blah, blah, blah. But if I like you and it goes over five minutes, that means I've entered into we are friends territory, and I will start talking shit. And, like, (laughs) (laughs) and the thing about me talking shit is that, and this is another thing Planes has in common with each other, is we're not going to say it unless we'll say it to your fucking face. So when I say that the dude from fucking Deep Elm is whatever I would say he is, <laughs> I mean it, you know, mm-hmm. like it just wasn't our fucking scene. It seemed disingenuine. It seemed forced and it seemed like we needed out, but I still cared about the guy and I gave him a chance to hold on 
to what we wanted to do, and he was refusing to work with us. And then at the same time, work with us on our on our terms because he's from the old school thought of labels being the bosses and bands being their employees. That's not the fucking case. And I don't like being treated like a servant, you know? Because this is my fucking art. This is my best friend's art. You want to fucking curate this shit, and if I trust you, yeah, we'll work together. But don't you fucking boss me. You know what I mean? So, I hope that didn't sound too raw, but... No. We gave him a chance to do things a certain way that we wanted to do. He said no, and we were like, all right, cool. Well, let's dodge this fucking emo thing altogether. Right. Like, let's dodge it, let's dip. Because I know our songs, Pound for Pound are fucking 110% more honest than most of these bands that are trying to sell themselves as emo. What's funny to mention is this is the late 90s. We're not talking pop punk era uh, on MTV, on radio. And I think that's what I think people forget. Like, even in that late 90s, people were fucking running away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't fit. It just seemed forced to me. It's like, dude, like, again... Like, I mean, good music should make you cry. Otis Redding, buckets. Buckets of tears, dude. Is he emo? You know what I mean? So I get it. It just became sort of a fucking something that I didn't want to be associated with. And plus, we got it extra hard because our name sounded so much like whatever people thought. Lowercase font, dude. You fucked it. Yeah, right? (laughs) Right? And I was just like, fuck. So, anyway, I guess this is the longest fucking explanation. This question of what were our thoughts, what were we trying to achieve? We weren't trying to achieve anything until, I think, until we left Depot. At that point, we hadn't thought about it. And then we were like, all right, let's shed this whole fucking thing. Like, we don't need labels. We don't need anything. And, you know, we've been accused of all sorts of shit over the years. Like when we got on no idea, people sometimes would be like, Oh great. Another fucking hot water ripoff. It's like, ah, I don't know about that. I mean, I have a feeling we all grew up listening to the same records and I know that I love those guys as human beings, but the draw for that scene would just be because I felt like they were operating with a level of integrity and honesty that a lot of bands weren't. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the emo thing, again, to answer your question about what we were trying to achieve or what we thought was that we just didn't, uh, I'm trying to use the right adjectives. I've been recently accused of being a little clumsy with my language. So, um, (laughs) power of editing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, we just didn't want to be fucking, I can't even think of the right words. Like, you know where I'm getting at. I just, you know, like we just didn't want to be, yeah, there you go. Tight-tossed. But we ended up doing it to ourselves anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was on our terms. Right. You know, um, it just, uh, we didn't want to be like, but I guess ultimately phony. Some of the fucking promo shots, things you'd see, 
And I understand a lot of these bands, like how they was talking, like had a sense of humor and were cheeky about it. But I didn't dig the cute thing. I didn't, I, I couldn't get into it. I always, I always took it really seriously. And I feel like that's the part that I think people sometimes, it was a, a means to do marketing and then also, uh, you know, again, like you said, be cute. But it seemed that I was like, I don't get that. I want someone to be fucking serious about this. <laughs> Yeah, and that's kind of how I was. Like, I mean, because we aren't ultimately aren't overly serious people. We crack up all the time, and we, especially at that time, uh, we were party animals. You know what I mean? Like in every sense of the word. Like re fucking ridiculous, ridiculous. Like ridiculously. Like if if I caught my kids doing this shit in their twenties, I'd pull them out <laughs> of the, of, <laughs> and have a serious talk with them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, ridiculous, but yeah, I, I think we wanted just to lean into the darker side of things because it made more sense to us. I just know I was informed as because I am not better than anybody in this fucking room. I'm not a fucking rock star. That's what this whole punk rock thing was supposed to fight against. Right. Uh, is to be is not elitist. But in turn, we were learning that it was one of the most fucking elitist sports out there. <laughs> I mean, we're like, what the fuck is this? So we turned insular and we just looked to each other. When we moved to Denver, it was like 13 of us moved at once. That's your own fucking tribe, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? We, so we really didn't need validation. We didn't really need people to pat us on the ass and tell us we were great and hot shit because we fucking loved each other so much and we're inspired by each other so much and we would blow, blow smoke up each other's asses. We didn't need anybody else to do that. And unfortunately, as far as influences go at the time with peers, a lot of it kind of was, and we're talking about like the emo scene thing, a lot of it kind of was we were more influenced by them as to what we were not going to be. This is what we will not do. I find that really interesting. I No, I totally get it. I think it's really interesting because that time period, labels were starting to call. There were bigger tours. Things like when I was going to shows, it's like, oh, wow, this was at the smaller place and now it's at the bigger place. And you felt it even though it wasn't in the mainstream yet. It was in the zines. People were, I mean, it was, it was big to me and... You know, I never thought any band would be on MTV or those types of things. So it was big in that time period. And to take that left turn and just say, like, we want to try something else. Um, I think even in that era, when it wasn't like you're ready to uh, go huge, um, was a big thing. Yeah. I mean, we just didn't want to thinking about it as a career. We weren't thinking about it as like, we want to play... Uh, like we weren't looking at a numbers game. We were looking at, wouldn't it be cool if someday we got to headline the bluebird, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're still fucking green and like still kind of hard to a certain extent, but now it doesn't fucking matter. Cause who cares? We're not under no illusion that we're going to build houses or fucking retire or sell more than fucking a couple thousand records. You know what I mean? Like, and none of us care. It's just now it's ultimately 110% genuinely about like the art of it and continuing to be able to love each other in a close proximity. 
You know what I mean? Like, like, fuck it. I don't, I don't fucking care. I was never pretty. I'm certainly not pretty now. I'm not, you know, we're not just going to like, holy shit, have you heard this band? Right. Planes? Oh, no, it's not going to, that's not how it's going to work. I thought one thing that um, Heller said um, and uh, that I thought was funny is he used a couple of words and I want you to describe it. Um, he said, you know, when you moved to Denver and he said, quote, fucking Hellraisers and it was a circus act, but they had the heart on their <laughs> sleeve. Can you can you describe that? Uh, <laughs> I guess I could send you pictures. Um, <laughs> no, we just fucking it was it, it was a circus act. It it wasn't smoke and mirrors, you know. It was a circus act. It wasn't a magic show. <laughs> like we were fucking had our fucking heads in the mouth of the lions every night, you know. Like we just fucking raged, man. I and I'm not saying that in a braggart style. It's just all we knew, and it's what. Again, part of like our own weird ego. Uh, we didn't want to be like the other bands. We wanted to be like fucking Thin Lizzy, man. We, you know what I mean? Like we wanted, that's what we wanted. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of it was misinformed and ill-informed. And, but I don't regret it because it's, I've met so many people and like held on to so many people because of it. You know, like, I, let me explain it to this way. Like, uh, I didn't meet my wife until my 30s, you know? And I was I, I was previously married, and that was a heavy thing, and it ended, and it didn't end great, you know? Um, and I have two kids with my ex, and that's been hard and, like, but beautiful. But what I'm getting at is I try to explain to my my wife and my kids at least once a year like hey time to check in i want you to know that i haven't always been a perfect human being but i don't regret anything i've ever done because it's got me here and it's got me here in the room with you guys and i fucking love you and sometimes it takes mistakes and recklessness to live through to get to the be the person that you're going to be in the end and I thank you all for being part of this journey. That's how I feel about us being Hellraisers and Circus Acts. A lot of it was regrettable, but not really. Because it got us here. We enjoy each other's company, I think, more than we ever have. You know? The only part that fucking hurts is I miss Matt. And I'm sorry that I couldn't save him. And I'm sorry we couldn't save him. You know? I've desperately think about it every day. I try not to beat myself up about it anymore because I know he wouldn't want me to. But as far as our like us partying and being crazy and hellraisers and fucking tightrope walkers and lion tamers, that's all true and I don't fucking regret it because it made for some fucking interesting characters and people that I still love and fucking talk to every day. Yeah, and I think the music, um, again, you taking that shift went darker, went more eerie, went. I think I always just say post because it's like 
you know, to me, atmospheric or just there's more depth versus this like thin layer. Um, it seemed like that that's yeah. where you guys were leaning toward. And I think personally as a fan, I, I think I was confused. You know, I first heard copper, you know, heard copper and stars and been like, holy shit. And then kind of hearing, you know, if it was fuck with fire or he, you know, hearing some of those other things being like, I kind of hear it in there, you know, I kind of hear it still there. And then it was like crazy, but I, and, and I think later hearing it, um, feeling like I could see the connections, but I never knew that sort of left turn, but what was the, what was the idea? Uh, who was the, I guess, the um, catalyst for the darker or the eerier part of, you know, Plains' music? Um, well, when Aaron left the band and Jamie joined, that definitely pushed us more in that direction. I mean, we were already kind of headed that way. But Jamie... Um, very staunchly into what he's into and like I mean he he was more informed by bands like Bauhaus stuff like that you know the Bad Seeds Joy Division uh, he was more closer to the goth realm of things and we all we all love that shit but he was just more in tune with it and uh also, when we when he joined the band, that's when we made our exodus to Denver, and we like I don't think we knew it, but we had something to prove just to ourselves, and we were like, "Fuck it, we're fighting the world here. This is this is where we go all the way with the world. No apologies." And the music sounded, you know, I mean, some of us had safety nets in place you know, like families that would in a pinch help us. Other of us, some of us were like completely alone at, you know, 23, 22. Like, that's it. You are a fucking adult and you're on your own. And, and that's it. You know, like there's no going back. There's no nobody that's going to send you a check. You know what I mean? And I'm not fucking crying about it. I'm just saying that's the the reality of it, but we had each other. So we knew we'd be fine. And, and it was just very tribal. I can't explain it. It was like music was everything to us at the time. Like everything. Like it was our whole reason to exist. And we weren't going to be informed by anybody but ourselves. Part of that's tailoring, and that's mad. That's magic. Like I mean, I probably sound like a fucking loon, but that's magic, and that's tailoring the fabric of your own reality around you to a certain extent. I think that we have magnetic poles and pulses that we don't all necessarily know how to use, and sometimes you luck upon. Yes. I believe um, in that shit so much. I, th- I, there's some energy that happens. I don't talk about it all because, uh, you know, I play things kind of close to the best. But anyway, yeah, you're right. The thing with us, though, is like, yes, okay, the downside to casting as hard as we did is that it was never going to be widely or wildly accepted. Um, the upside is the people that fucking care and that could hear us 
you know, in the ether, like or ether. I always fucking say it wrong. They could hear what we were what we were putting through. Really heard it and fucking care almost too much sometimes. It like it seems to me like Plains fans are almost all super fans. There might be only eighteen at the show. But they're all freaked the fuck out and stoked to be there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no casual Plains fans. And that's kind of cool. I mean, it doesn't translate very well for uh, our fucking gas tank. But it's cool that when people see us, they fucking care. I think that's... That's what you want. You don't want the fan that's only there for one hour. Al- I talk about this. They only listen, they only like one song or they like one album. Those bands, I think, are going to have a, a tougher time. And But when someone, like you said, those 18 fans at that show are obsessed with every single note, that's, I think, yeah. the win. That's the win. And that doesn't bore me and it doesn't bore my heart. You know what I mean? It doesn't. It, 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 it feels galvanizing. I mean, I've played shows, you know, where there's 2,000 people there, not for us. I mean, clearly in the opening slots. And, you know, some of those crowds just seem fucking vapid to me. You know, like, oh, God, commerce in action, how about? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you might as well be at a fucking big box store. You know, I go to Costco on Sundays. There's a fucking hundred people there in one aisle, but they don't really care about Costco. Nobody wears Costco shirts on purpose. <laughs> I mean, like I'm a huge Walmart fan. <laughs> but everybody goes there. And, and, and that's kind of how it feels like sometimes doing uh, opening slots for some bigger bands where you're just like, oh, man. Really, there's fucking 1,400 people here, but maybe 400 of them really give a shit about where they're at. Right. And those numbers just don't don't appeal to me, you know? Like, sure, I would love to be able to fucking make sure all of us were vested and could pay our bills off this shit, but it's not going to fucking happen. And at this point, it's not going to be happening by fucking giving a fuck on how many people like us. So I I have a like I have a problem where I want to have everybody like me. Like no matter who it is, like I yeah. just I can't not have someone not like me. I just it so okay. at a show, I'm that is a rough row. Man. It is. So but I'm thinking <laughs> about you at that show and maybe it's with the Mastodon tour, maybe against me and you're playing and there's all those people there. I would be like the one person that isn't looking. I'd be like, well, this show sucks. Even though maybe everyone around him was into it, I'd only be like, well, that one guy didn't get it. <laughs> I'd be so fucking messed up. <laughs> yeah, that's a rough row, man. I stopped giving a fuck a long time ago. I had to. <laughs> I, just had to. I had to. I stopped. I had to stop reading message boards. I had to stop reading reviews because it was eating me up. So I have a little bit of that personality that you're talking about right in yourself but i've learned to let it go and be like fuck that shit if i start listening to what people don't like about me i'm gonna forget completely about what i like about myself you know i love that you're right i wrote a line recently the working title of the new planes record 
working title was, I love Jawbreaker and Do You Still Hate Me is great. So I was like, I'm going to, the working title for this record and all the lyrics is going to be called, Do You Do You Still Love Me? And the answer is, because I fucking finally do, you know? <laughs> and that's what you got to do when you worry about whether people like you or not. Fuck them. Do you like yourself? Because I hated myself for years. And now I'm like, fuck that. I like myself just fine. I try to do everything with intent. I try to really listen to people when I, when, when I can, when they're open to talking. And I try not to beat the fucking shit out of myself anymore. So, I fucking finally do. So it doesn't matter whether you do. It doesn't matter whether you love me. <laughs> I love me. Right. You know, and, and that sounds really cocky. I'm not trying to give it's you some not. wrestling. Like, oh, brother. Like, that's like a fucking WWF guy. Oh, I love me. You know, but, <laughs> but it's important in your inner monologue when you start to fucking beat yourself up and you start to cut yourself ask what's more important this fucking stranger this fucking this consumer cares about you or do you care about you do you care about what you're doing I care about my band and I care about us and I'm a fan of our our songs that's really all that matters and that's the only way I'm able to get on stage really yeah, he's like, I want to stoke these guys out. I want to crack Mikey up at some point during the set. I want him to chuckle. I want to impress Chuck at some point in this set. I want to annoy Neil. I want to fucking annoy him. Because <laughs> that's what gets him to laugh. Inside. He doesn't laugh outwardly. He laughs on the inside. And I can tell when he's laughing on the inside. <laughs> I love that outlook. My wife uh, comes with us. We don't do that much anymore, so she's usually able to be like, yeah, I get five days off. Let's do this. And it serves a, uh, a, a purpose, like, because she babysits me and keeps me out of trouble. You know, instead of 30 beers, it's six. Good job. You know? <laughs> and also, she's so so like motherly and in control of the money that we actually make a little bit when we go out now instead of like selling free shirts and giving 42 away she's like fuck that shit you're not giving shirts away anymore in fact I'm gonna stand here and make sure you don't <laughs> but on top of that well, to, to, to speak of like how I like was saying I, I try to like get Mikey to chuckle or whatever Almost every show, I'll change a lyric or something and directly be talking to her. And I can see her usually. She's in the back of the room at the merch table or whatever. She watches us and just see if she smiles. And she almost every time gets it, like just the slightest, the slightest turn of phrase. And that's what gets me on stage. It's not, I'm not worried about fucking uh, popularity contest, you know, like... That 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 ship has sailed, and we never were. I mean, much to the chagrin to some of the people around us. You know, I was talking to, uh, I was doing an interview recently, and talking about like, is there anything that you would have done different? And I'm like, oh, not really. 
you know, but I was talking about how, I, you know, when half the drive-in was at their peak, uh, their manager approached us and, like, had us come out and do demos and this wonderful guy, Alex Newport, is his name. Dude, come on, Fudge Tunnel. Yeah, there you go. Come on. You know what I'm talking come about. Come on, I'm good. Anyway, he was great. Great fucking dude. We spent, you know, two days there. They Like, the manager uh, got the drive-in, paid for it, you know, and, like, and then he pulled me aside. He's like, you know, uh, here's the thing. You guys are a great band. You're very interesting. You have your own thing going on. But you need to clean up a little bit, clean up your acts, which, fair enough. But you're not going to get, dude, that's, I'm not going to change what I do because of that. You know? And then he's like, you just clean up the sound a little bit. Just tighten it up or like think about, you know, more verse course, first course, do this, do that. And I was just like, fuck Christ. It's the exact opposite of what I wanted to hear. What a fucking disappointment. You know what I mean? He clearly didn't fucking read me as a human being very well. So be like, I need to talk to you separate from your band, A. And B, you need to fucking clean up. And then you get, you're going someplace, kid. And I was just like, this couldn't be more fucking cliche and fucking dumb and against what I stand for. In fact, the next fucking batch of songs we write are probably going to be in direct defiance to some fucking manager guy trying to mansplain things to me. You know? <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just like fuck this and again Blaze is a nice guy and I appreciate that he stuck his neck out for a second for us but what year I'm was that about a 20 oh geez like 2002 whatever uh he was before it was between fuck with fire and up and guts okay so uh, yeah that's probably 2002 2003 or something yeah and it just Dude, at that point would be the last time that you would want to try to talk to me about cleaning up my fucking act. Dude, I was fucking indignant, dude. Like, it's <laughs> just like, maybe that would be the point in all of this where I was getting, like, an ego about what we did. Not in a traditional way. Not in the way that's like, I'm a fucking rock star, but in a way that's like, fuck you. This is what I do, and this is how I do it. I'm going to do it this way. And I was very much railing against scene politics, very much railing against industry politics, very much railing against, like, how just consumer-driven the scene seemed to me in Square. It really seemed to me. I just was not fucking dealing with anything. You know, so if you suggested something, unless it was like over a beer and laughing about it, I'd probably tell you fucking fuck off. I mean, that again, that that environment, you're right. Those band like the commercialization of it, the the word, the the scene, even not even just emo, just the punk and hardcore and all like all these things were sort of getting picked up and. I mean, I was at a label then, and the president of the label was calling me in, asking me what bands to go see. And I'm like 21, 22 years old. And 
it was yeah. like, what are you talking about? Like, you have no idea what you're looking at. And it was just, and I think for you to, uh, you know, be like, this is not what I want. I want to do something else. I think that's confidence in yourself, in your music. And like you said, your tribe, your friends that you were playing with, this is what you wanted to do. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I like that. I've had a lot of conversations with bands and I think there's just this conscious thing of like, well, I need to keep going. I need to figure this out for other reasons. And that's okay. It's not, it's not bad. It's yeah. not good. It's just okay. But I think to to be aware of it that much that you're like, no, this is how we are. I mean, telling a big manager like that, this no, this is how we are, and uh, I think that takes a lot. That maybe that's you know, I think like you said earlier, good and bad things came from this. That was a good one. You kept what you wanted to do. You had the you had the moral compass for music, <laughs> not necessarily substances. Well, I'm joking. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that you you realize that or like that you recognize that and that you framed it that way. Um, I'll say like again, there are certain people around us that were close that are like, why don't you just, just fucking buckle a little bit, guys? Come on, you know, like come on, let like make some make some money here, you know, like like people aren't taking you serious. And I, again, I was just like, fuck them. <laughs> I don't fucking care. Like, what? You know, you can't take it with you, man. Whether it's fucking, you know, pieces of eight or accolades, you know, like, you can't. I'm hoping that on my deathbed, I'll just remember that. Like, ha <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah. I did it my way, man. There's a reason that's a fucking great song. Here's the thing about it. It's like, all right, say, say we had made those changes or done this or that, uh, and maybe say it worked. Ultimately, it would have never worked. We would have folded, and we wouldn't be able to be creating now. Like, everything we've done up to this point has been organic. Any member, like, change or shift has been organic to the point that the guy before him is like, hey, let me sit down and show you this shit. When uh, Jamie left the band and Chuck joined, we were a five-piece for a couple days. You know? Just knocking this shit out. And then when Matt left the band and Neil joined, eh, there was a, a, a moment there that was not real fucking calm, like calm not really comfortable, but they ended up starting a band together like a year later. So all this has happened because we've just do things on our own terms. And I know that if we had listened to suggestions about how to clean up our act and be more fucking easier pill to swallow, more marketable, that we, we just, it would have killed it. Yeah. And here we are like, you know, I mean, in our late twenties, <laughs> we are in our forties, and like we're like we still want to play with each other. You know what I mean? We still want to create. We still want to fucking get weird. We still have like a fire about us that is not in any way contrived or commerce driven. Of course, we can't lose money to go on tour, but we're smart enough to make sure that doesn't happen. But we're doing this. 
because we want to be next to each other and because like we genuinely feel like we have more to add and like our best shits to come you know like i can't wait to do this next planes record you know like i can't wait i think it's going to be something really fucking different and special you know and and again as long as the other three dudes like it i can really give fuck all what anybody else thinks It'd be nice if people were like, dude, this is amazing. Changed my life. Ooh. <laughs> as long as Mikey's like, man, that's a fucking sick riff. That's all I care, you know? Or they the lyrics resonate with the dudes. Like, okay, I, I feel comfortable for you speaking for us. That's all that matters. I also think, too, you continuing to play music, and maybe this is not how you feel, but this is how I'm thinking after our conversation. You continuing to play music with Neil and everybody and playing that keeps the legacy of not only your surrogate father who gave you all those records and those are still in you. Those are still coming out of your fingertips and Matt. Yes. Matt's, Matt walks on stage with me every time I do. I mean, it's just, it's that simple. I fucking, I don't, I don't do any of this lightly, you know, like that's a weight that I'll carry till I float away. But yeah, Matt's with me every, every fucking day, but especially when I play and especially when we play those songs we wrote together. Um, you know, I can hear him, you know, I can hear him. I can, I know what he would think about things. You know what I mean? Like, there's certain songs we won't play. I mean, I kind of, like, sort of am a boss, bossy fuck about the set list and stuff, but there's certain songs that I won't play. So I'm like, no fucking way. Matt would say, there's no fucking way you can pull that off without me. <laughs> you know? And And I would either say, fuck you, watch me. Watch me do it, or hey, you're right. Some songs he's right about, some songs he's not. I know he's rolling every time we play in me in Richmond. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, motherfucker. <laughs> Something you mentioned earlier, just sort of like, you know, continuing on and you're breathing. We've woken up today. We've had a conversation. Tomorrow we'll, like, that you're able to do that is you know, continuing the memory of him and the music. And that's why you're doing it. You're not, you're not doing this for, again, I I think it really, it, I totally get it. And I think the, you doing that. And I think, I think he would, I think he is proud. You, you know that, but you're doing it to fuck with him. You're doing it to make him happy. You're doing it to, (laughs) right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's how we fucking, that's me and Matt, man. We fucking, like, tight-roped, like, mortality so much together that, I mean, almost easier that he's dead than when he was alive. Because watching him, like, slowly kill himself was like, what the fuck, dude? We're supposed to beat this. You know what I mean? So now that he's dead, I, I feel like I can talk to him easier. Because when he was alive, he was in such in such grips with addiction that that wasn't my Matt. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, that's not Matt. I don't know what the fuck that guy is doing or who that guy is, but that's not Matt. 
when Matt passed away, I was able to have a dialogue with him. I know it sounds crazy, but I've been able to sift through these feelings easier since he, you know, exited. But me and him, man, we, you know, we did a lot of fucking dumb shit together, and we, we were on that, we, we towed the fucking line, man. I'll tell you one of my favorite memories that, before I forget, while it's still in my, <laughs> fresh in my mind. So, when we first moved to Denver, we, we lived in the smallest place. Like, I'm saying, the whole house was as big as my living room. You know, and it was me, uh, me, Jamie, Mikey didn't live with us. It was me, Jamie, Matt, my ex, and uh, my ex is Brandy, which we're still really, we're still, we're good friends, you know. She, she'd be an interesting one to, to, to tap into talking about this kind of stuff as a complete fucking removed. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the side players. She could tell you probably, yes, right? But anyway, so we lived in this little place, and we were so fucking poor, dude. Like, when I say, like, earlier, like, you know, some of us, like, had safety nets, and some of us, that was it. That was it. Like, we were busted. Practicing in our living room. And I'm telling you, this house is probably, like, maybe 500 square feet for all of us, and then all the people that would come hang out. Anyway, so me and Matt, would we couldn't afford to go to bars. Uh, so we would just get... You know, silly at home or whatever, but we were so dumb. We were such little kids. I was like, oh, we were all messed up. And I'm like, let me let me see if I can bench press you, Matt. And he's like, all right. And he grabs a broom, you know. So I start proceeding to bench press him. And luckily his hands were in the right place. But the fucking, I've got him up in the air and the, the, the broom handle breaks. Right over my neck and like two spikes coming out my neck, like two stakes, you know? And he's like, oh, and he slips down real quick and he, he blocks them both from sticking in my neck. So <laughs> it was going right for the jugular. And it was so fucking dumb that you would try to bench press your friend with a fucking piece, a broom handle. Like, it doesn't even make sense. That's just the kind of shit we would do. But I remember at that point, it was so real and so close to a grievous situation and Matt had caught both spikes in his hands, just little scrapes, but it would have went right through my neck. And me and him just holding each other, hearts racing, and realizing we are so dumb. But we are so lucky to have each other. And that was me and Matt's relationship. Um, <laughs> about up till the end. <laughs> it's just a stupid story, but it's what I think about. And it's also one of those things I think about when I get on stage. Now, here you go. Let's do this. Try not to break this broomstick. <laughs> That's perfect. Garrett, this was, this was perfect. Cool. I like talking to you, buddy. Even though you guys are tangentially associated with it, um, there's kids that, Again, I don't listen just to emo. I listen to punk and hardcore and and metal and stuff. And and to hear the way you went about 
your music and where you want it to go um, is inspiring. And I'm, I'm fucking even more stoked that you're still doing it. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just about the fucking, the truth of it all. Just writing good songs, man, you know, and like just fucking living life with each other. And it just accentuates what's already there, you know? And honestly too, the thing that I kind of stopped saying as much because it almost sounds so earnest and like, so people, I can just hear people guffaw. Oh my God, there's two, two of the most gorgeous bluebirds outside my fucking window. Oh, right hell now. yeah. They're like huge too. <laughs> oh, they're gorgeous. Uh, you know who uh, those, you, do, anyway, do you know who that uh, is? Do you know who those are? Who? It's, maybe it's Matt and Sheldon. I mean, I have, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. My wife calls me her bluebird. There you go. They're, they're stopping by to say hi. They heard you were talking about I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them for a while. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, anyway, uh, what I tell people, what I used to tell people all the time, it's like, you know, we part of the reason we do this is still fucking to hopefully somebody feels less alone. And in turn, hopefully I feel fucking less alone. Because sometimes life is just, just fucking crushing. Just to walk out the door can be crushing when you can feel like the pressure of the air on your skin and the pressure of the day before it's even fucking begin. It's crushing. And, you know, if one of our tunes can fucking get you to roll up your sleeves and brave through it, then that's all I want. Because I know that if you're doing that and there's an energy exchange and then maybe I can write another song. <laughs> I mean, and that's what it is. That's perfect. Thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. I'm stoked that you checked out Heller's interview. Um, yeah, uh, before this, I, I haven't cried. Cried that. I haven't cried actually about it about the the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got a little clamped through parts of it, but then when it really gets into the math situation, like he really. Uh, Hits it on the head. Me and Jason Heller have known each other, as you know, for fucking years. We haven't been uh, in direct contact for many years, though, too. And I forgot uh, how much he he loved me. Did you reach out to him? Yeah. Yeah, I said, hey, man, thanks. And he was like, fuck, I thought you heard this years ago or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm like, (laughs) no, nobody told me, man. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Nobody told me. I'm kind of a, what do you call it, Luddite? Luddite? Luddite, Luddite. Luddite. I'm, yeah, I'm no good. Like, no fucking good. Like, I, and I tried to send you those songs. I must have downloaded that from Dropbox 17 times, and I still can't fucking figure out how to send a fucking five songs to people. <laughs> I can't even figure out how to listen to it. Don't worry. And I'm about just it. like, you know what? Why should I start trying now? <laughs> You're good to go. You're Fuck fine. This. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's better that way because I'm the fucking guy that fixes everything um, in the yeah. in the house. I'm the one that the Wi-Fi goes down. I fix it. The computer's broken. I fix it. So you don't want to be that one either. Well, you know, fucking, I'll tell you, and I put money on it. Here's the thing. Okay? You think things are fucked now? And I'll leave you on this note, and I'm not being facetious here. <laughs> All right. So whether or not this fucking clown wins mm-hmm. the next election. Mm-hmm. 
or not is really doesn't matter. He's not leaving. Oh, he's not leaving. He might not leave after eight years. Yeah, he he won't go. But what what's going on now is they're vetting us and pitting us against each other and wiping out a good portion of our population and just kind of testing us because then people are going to show their true colors. Okay? There's going to be no internet. It's gone. People are going to be losing their fucking shit. And then right when that's hit a fever, bitch, <laughs> there's the fucking aliens, dude. There they are. They're fucking, they're fucking landing. They just trained us to be fucking sheep in a totalitarian fucking situation. Oh, my fucking God. Here it is. I feel sorry for the fucking children, man. Because, you know, we're in our twilight comparatively, especially if the aliens come. <laughs> oh, and then also, you know, there's going to be less places that are actually going to be, you know, we can live. Because in 50 years, there's going to be a lot of places that are just going to be desert. There's not going to be any water. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we are fucked. We're so fucked. So that's why. Yeah. Enjoy today. Think- Enjoy music. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get out as many books and podcasts as that I can. (laughs) Get on it, man. That's why I wrote 80 songs. I'm just hoping they have a position in their fucking alien parliament for me. You've been making so much sense. Here. Hey. Join our government. Do you need to know someone that can deal with someone with a gun? An alien gun. Can you, do you need someone? All right. I'm your guy. (laughs) I won't, I won't flinch. Fuck them. (laughs) <laughs> I watched plenty of Star Trek. Yes, I thought a fucking Bob and Weave. He can cut my ears. Make him pointy. <laughs> All right, buddy. It was good talking to you, brother. And, you know, if you motherfuck me, I'll come after you. <laughs> I love that. Done. <laughs> Be good, my man. Thanks, man.